Well, last week we uh, were going through the Gospel of Luke. We're heading into the book of Acts. We're going to be in this for a whole year, so you might as well just get comfortable. And uh, we're, we read Acts, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 3 last week. We found out through the baptism of Jesus Christ, and uh, it was an incredible, uh, what we found out was that at the beginning of that text where Jesus is standing around, he's watching people being baptized. And the Bible says that a, a, a spirit of, of, of prayer, this deep intercession comes across him. And you can, it's just incredible. It said Jesus was praying. That's all it says in your text. But actually the word is an intense, emotional, like I am, I'm seeing something powerful happening here. And what he was experiencing was his role as the deliverer. His role as the savior of the world is beginning to be enacted, and, and he's, he's in this prayer moment, and he enters the waters of baptism. And uh, if you study the other texts that surround that, uh, John the Baptist says, what are you doing? I, I, I should be baptizing you. And he says, no, 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 for all righteousness to be fulfilled, I need to be baptized. But he's not baptized as representing himself, he's baptized as representing you and I. You see, baptism, we always know that as the symbolism is letting go of your old life, getting cleansed from your sin, being buried in that old life, and being resurrected into a new life. Well, Jesus was sinless. And so his baptism was simply a connection with you and I and all of humanity that we need to come to a place of, of, of letting go of our life, trusting God, and being resurrected into a new life in the kingdom of God. And in that moment, we know God the Father speaks from heaven. It's one of the most powerful pictures in all of the Bible. It, we see the Trinity of God, the, the Father, Son, and the Spirit present in one moment. And, uh, you know, the Father speaks over Jesus. He says, this is my Son, whom I love. In Him I am well pleased, or in Him I am fulfilled. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm baptizing him, but the new power of the Spirit is going to come upon him so that he can live a life of, as the deliverer of humanity. <laughs> and he's going to go forth under the affirmation of the Father. The Father affirms him in that moment. You're my son whom I love, and you I'm well pleased. And then the Bible says, and then he begins his ministry. Guys, that, that alone preaches for a year. The entire foundation of Jesus' ministry was that he was founded upon the love of God and his identity was secure in who he was. And so from that moment, we go into chapter 4, and it's this bizarre moment to me because the Father's affirmation, the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form, a voice speaks from heaven. I mean, this is cool, amazing stuff that's going on. But look what happens in chapter 4. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Seriously? <laughs> like, man, this incredible affirmation is spoken over his life. And then he, the, the Spirit of God, check this out, the Spirit of God sends him into the wilderness for 40 days where he's fasting and praying. I'm only asking you for one day a week. The father had a different idea for the son here. Uh, and, and it's incredible. He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you say, why would God, why would the spirit do that? Church, listen to me. If something is not tested in your life, you don't own it. 
You can hear a truth all you want, but when you live a truth, it becomes yours. And how many of you would like to drive a car that has not been tested? We just threw this together. We hope it works. <laughs> Come on. We know, and this is an incredible thought here, the Greek word for testing is pyrasmos. Why I'm bringing up Greek to you right now is that the word can be translated either test or temptation. Hang on to that thought. Because God will allow tests to come in our lives that temper us and change us and transform us into the image of His Son. But as we are being tested by the Lord, the enemy tries to make it a temptation. I'll explain that in a minute. All throughout the Bible, it tells us about these tests. Listen, here's one, Romans 5. There are more to come. We continue to shout out our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert to whatever God will do next. Daryl Johnson in his book, 20, uh, 59 Words That Changed the World, writes this, and I think it's a powerful thing. There are events or experiences in life through which the Father intends to prove and improve our character and faith. But the evil one sneaks in and intends to destroy our character and faith. So God allows things, and He warned us, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome. And in Christ, we overcome. But we're going to go through battles, guys, at times. And you're going to be tempted. Listen, this is what happens. God comes and allows life, life itself, forget about even God allowing it, just life itself brings the tests. And the temptation is to not trust God through the test or actually to accuse God of not being good in the midst of the test. That's the temptation. Why do you think you pray, lead me not into temptation every day in the Lord's Prayer? This is what you're praying. Let me not be tempted to accuse you of not being good. Let me not be tempted to run and turn away from your good plans for me, Lord. Let me not be tempted to listen to the accuser's lies about you, about life, about myself, and about others. Let me not be tempted, God, but let me trust you in the midst of this battle. Hallelujah. Listen, church, I have not been able to speak for six weeks with mouth pain. This is the first Sunday that I have not had any pain. <laughs> How many know that's a test? And you can be tempted in that moment to say, God, where are you? Are you good? He is good. At the end of the service, some of you are going to need to come forward for prayer. Be anointed with oil to be prayed for. And that's okay. Let's pray now, and then we're going to look at Jesus' temptation and find out what it means for you and me today. Father, we need you. Spirit of the living God, you are awesome. Lord, I'm so thankful for your healing touch, Lord. I'm so thankful, God. You are good. Father, I pray that today you will give us eyes to see 
ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to you in faith with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read the temptation, and you're going to find out that Jesus' temptation is the exact same temptation you go through every day. Jesus ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Forty days, yes. Hmm. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and you can, I can give it to anyone I want. If you will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, and they will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Dang. He overcomes, and it's like the devil circles back around. Let's try this again. Anybody else figured that out in your life yet? <laughs> oh, this is how I fight my battles. Come on. Okay, I, I'm going to hit some thoughts here in truth, and we're going to do some teaching, and then I'm going to jump in, and we're going to keep going. But I, I just want you to understand a few things. This is so critical, so critical. All temptation connects to where we find our identity. That's a powerful thought. See, identity, we talked about last week, God, God spoke over the son and said, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And those three things that are basically in the identity issue, for you to understand identity in your life and my life. <clears throat> identity is about three specific things. Number one, acceptance. Acceptance. You are my son. Number two, it is about security. Whom I love. With you I have placed my favor. I'm well pleased. That's about significance. Three things. Acceptance, security, significance. Those three things define your identity. Where you find those three things defines your identity. In the Son, He had it in the Father. Hallelujah. Did you catch this fact that two of the three temptations that Jesus had spoken over him challenged the word of God over his life. If you are the son of God, tell this rock to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. You see God speaking identity over him. It's the foundation of his ministry. It's the foundation of all he goes forward and does. But the devil is testing him now. The devil is tempting him to not trust God. It's a powerful thought. You see, the devil couldn't get Jesus to sin like we sin. He was sinless. But, you know, what he tried as a secondary part of sin is to try and get you to earn 
that which is already yours by faith. See, that's what the devil will do to Christians sometimes too, won't he? You know, he, God comes along and he speaks over our life and he speaks and he tells us he, we're loved, we're, we're secure, we're significant, we're the children of God, we're the kingdom of God, hallelujah. But the world comes and tells us that, you know, God's not telling you the total truth, you need more than that. Find your acceptance, your security, and your significance. It's in the things of this world. And everything in this world is shaking right now. But the kingdom of God will not shake. And so here's the temptation. The question really we need to answer is very simple. Here it is. Where do you find your acceptance, security, and significance? In the word of God or in the word of the world? See, one forms you. Church, please hear me. Hear me. One forms you into the image of Christ. One deforms you into the image of the world. You are constantly being formed or deformed. That is it. There's no spiritual middle ground. There's no safe place to live. You are either living in the kingdom or you're living in the world. And many, many Christians right now are doing both. It's not a fun walk to walk on a picket fence in the middle. Guys, guys, <laughs> the picket fence is right here. It's about that high. And you're trying to walk. Okay, uh, this will make sense to you. Pray, pray about it. The Lord will give you wisdom. <laughs> okay. Oh, Jesus, help us. Are you accepted because you're in the family of God? Or are you accepted because you have likes on Facebook or Instagram posts? Are you secure because God loves you and never, will never leave you nor forsake you? Or because you have a fat bank account and a great job? Nothing wrong with a fat bank account or a great job. But if you put your significance and security in those things, you're going to be disappointed. Are you significant because of your status and position and possessions or because you're in God's family and you've been called to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God? What do you do for a living? I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. Woo! How do you do? What do you do? <laughs> That'll change. Guys, every guy that goes in a room, it's the first question they get asked. What do you do? You throw that one out there, it's going to change the conversation. They probably won't talk to you anymore, but that's okay. You just use discretion when you use that one. Okay, so if the devil can't get you to sin, church, in a traditional sense of trying to find your acceptance, security, significance in this world, what he will do is he will begin to whisper to you and try to get you to earn what you have been given by faith. This is how it goes. If you were a Christian, you would pray more. If you were a Christian, you would read your Bible more. If you were a Christian, anybody ever heard that before? Now, you think, well, the devil wouldn't be telling me. To... You understand, he, anything he can do to trip you up is what he does. This is why he does this. This is why he works. I want you to hear me. The devil wants us to try and earn and prove that which is ours by faith already. Hallelujah. Okay, so we're learning, we're growing, we're getting connections here. 
when I was a new believer, I used to do stuff like this all the time. Like I prayed for two hours, God, do you accept me now? I, I gave a big offering at church, God, and I mean, surely I'm significant now. You know, it was always discouraging for the Lord to say, no. You're not accepted, secure, or significant by what you do or what you fail to do. You are secure and significant and accepted because I have spoken it over you. And it is finished. Whoo! Okay, okay. I'm just saying, when you start to mind, it's mind-blowing to think that the devil is trying to attack my identity. You know, we no longer, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, that we no longer look at people the same way we used to look at them in the world, for they are now new creations. The old is gone, the new is here. Amen? Okay, okay. So here we go. So talking about temptation, tax identity. Here's the second thing that happens in temptation. These temptations are common to all men, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Well, what are the temptations? And by the way, guys, I'm giving you the devil's entire arsenal today. He has three weapons. Here they are. They're the same all throughout the Bible. Here they go. 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... And the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Well, let me explain what those three things are. The lust of the flesh. That's fulfilling that internal drive and desire. If it feels good, do it. I want to fulfill my own appetites physically, emotionally. I want my own way. How many people are eating that apple tree? The lust of the eyes. That's what I see, I want, fame, fortune, good looks, a good life, everything, wanting everything for yourself. How about the pride of life? Wanting to look and appear to others like you have it all together, being proud and unyielding, trying to prove your worth by what you say or do, wanting to appear important. So in Jesus' life, these three temptations, we see them right away. He's hungry and the devil says, Man, why don't you turn that rock into bread if you are the Son of God? What's he appealing to? The lust of the flesh. I mean, he's hungry, but Jesus is not that eating is wrong, but Jesus has been called by the Spirit of God to be fasting and praying, so for him to eat would have been sin. Right? And so he says, no, 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 no. You, you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what the word says. And then he goes on. The devil tempts him and he says, shows them all the kingdoms of the world in an instant. Guys, what a light show that would have been. You think your graphics are cool here? Can you imagine what that would have been like? And he says, all of it's yours. What's he appealing to? The lust of the eyes. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's written, worship and serve the Lord God only. The devil quotes scripture and tells him, I mean, that's crazy. The devil quotes scripture. Tells him, if you're the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down from here. He says, oh, no, no. The word is interpreted by the word, and it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil leaves him. Are you following what I'm saying, guys? This is how it goes. So this is Jesus' life, these three tests. Well, how about the beginning of time? Let's look at Eve and Adam. 
In Genesis 3, we're going to see these three temptations coming. I've added them into the text. You'll see them when it come up. And the woman saw, which means to advise self, that the tree was good, suitable, pleasant for food, which is the lust of the flesh, and that it was delightful to look at the lust of the eyes, and the tree to be desired in order to make one wise, which was the pride of life. She took its fruit and ate, and she gave some also to her husband, and he also ate. So firstly, the devil tries to get us to deny, distort, or twist God's word. Amen? If you read the whole story, and I won't, I won't go into the text, but you can read it yourself in chapter 2 and 3 of Genesis. He tests the woman to see if she knows the word that God spoke. And he says these words, did God really say? And then we know what happens. The woman says, well, God did say we should not touch or eat the fruit of the tree in the center of the garden. She literally adds to God's word. Now, I can't prove this because the scriptures don't say it, but I believe it, and you've heard me say this before. They're, we know they're standing at the tree. I believe that the devil literally reached up and grabbed that fruit and said, you will not surely die. She misquoted the word. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said you don't eat it. And the minute he did that, she began to question, is God keeping something from us? And that's what he says. He literally tempts her by saying, for God knows that when you eat of it, you shall become like him. Lust, pride of life. You can be God. You're your own God. And then she takes it and she eats it and gives some to her husband, the idiot. <laughs> Seriously, like, I'm sorry, but Adam is not good in this story. He's literally watching to see if she dies. Oh, she didn't die. I guess I'll have some now. <laughs> and by the way, the command came to Adam. He should have stopped that whole thing. Okay. Guys, step up. Show up for prayer tomorrow. Yes, pastor. Well, or, or men's ministry. It's good too. They're both awesome. Okay, so advertising today. Well, I told you this, but I, want to, I just want to get there. Secondly, the devil tries to get us to question God's word and character. This is the most brutal part of it. God gets us to, or the devil gets us to question the goodness of God. When we're going through trials, and they're brutal, guys, it's hard. It doesn't make sense. He's constantly trying to get us to question whether God is good. That's what he does. And I told you that Eve saw the fruit, which in the Hebrew word means she advised self. She lost the battle in her mind and she yielded herself to the sinful temptation instead of remaining yielding to God's word in faith. Um, how many of you know advertising? If I ever leave ministry, I'm going into advertising because I literally love it. I don't, but I'm telling you, it appeals to three things. Every single ad you see Every ad in the world, every ad appeals to one of three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. <laughs> Why does sex sell bubble gum? Because I see I'm going to get a woman like that if I've got double mint gum in my pocket. <laughs> right? If I spray myself with Axe body spray, go into a high school right now, you almost keel over with every kid sprayed and coated with Axe body spray because... 
women are going to love me when I'm sprayed in this. Are you following me? I mean, you deserve a break today at McDonald's. <laughs> Yummy. It's not that good. <laughs> okay. I remember, do you remember, I've told you this before, but Lotto 649, they used to have billboards up with how much money was there. And I remember one year, several years ago, they had a pair of eyes. That's all it was, was a pair of eyes looking at the number. And it said underneath, just imagine. What is it appealing to? Yeah, it's appealing to this, this lust of the eyes. And, and then the pride of life, you know, you, you, you all go online, you watch, you know, you, you, you see your favorite star, and he's got an iPhone 14. He doesn't have to say anything. What he's saying is anybody who's anyone has a 14. Do you think it's a mistake that Apple has a bitten apple as their symbol? <laughs> no, that's a coincidence. No, it's not. That was his whole gesture, forbidden knowledge accessed. How do we overcome, Pastor Greg? Help. Revelation 12, beautiful, so good. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brother has been, who accused them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Okay. Guys, the accuser of the brethren who accused us day and night before God is literally not able to accuse us anymore before God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has paid the price for sin. So every time you used to blow it, every time humanity used to make a mistake, the devil would say, you've got to judge them. You've got to judge them. Your law says day and night accusing us. Now, guess what? We are accepted. We are secure. We are significant because of what Jesus has done. He can no longer accuse us to the Father. But guess who he accuses us to now? Ourselves. He's been hurled down. He didn't stop being the accuser. <laughs> He's the one whispering all, if you were a Christian, if you were good, you should take this. This will really make you significant. You'll be really loved and, and so, so secure if you have this. I'm not going to give to the church. I'm going to hoard my own security and keep my own money. Oh, no, that's not for the church. You think the Father is telling you that? How do we overcome him? <laughs> Church, listen, you got to stop accusing yourself and letting the devil whisper in your ear, and you got to stop accusing other people. Why? Because then you become the accuser of the brethren. You literally do the devil's work for him. Whew. 
Who you are in Christ is more true than what you think in your own brain. Because the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. The kingdoms of this world are temporal and they are passing away. My people perish, the Bible says, for a lack of knowledge. Knowing the word, knowing who you are and whose you are. Amen? Okay, they overcome him by the blood of the lamb, which just means we've made a great exchange. The blood of the lamb. I, I, I surrender my life. I, I confess my need of God. And I exchange my brokenness for his wholeness. I exchange my separation from God for his acceptance. I exchange my insecurity for his security. I exchange my insignificance for his full-on sonship and significance. Amen? Amen? This is what the blood of the Lamb has done, guys. Stop trying to earn that which is already yours by faith. It's finished. So you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And then it says you overcome him by the word of your testimony. When your word comes into agreement with God's word, you overcome. Church, this is the number one thing, weapons of our warfare that we need to understand. Well, what are those weapons? Let's check this out. This is so cool. It's for 2 Corinthians 4.13. For though we live in the world, I think this is 10.13 actually. I think I have the text wrong. So you can figure it out for yourself. You can read it yourself. So though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets up itself against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You are not weak, church. You are more powerful than you can ever comprehend. I told you that time in the past where I was walking through the airport with a whole missions team of young adults. In, I'm in Los Angeles airport. I'm walking through with these kids and this guy runs up literally demon-possessed, runs up and smacks the back of one of our kids. What are you doing here, sons of God? How did that guy know? Because he saw with spiritual eyes. And he saw the glowing, powerful people that were walking through the airport, and it overcame him, and he ran, and he screamed and ran away. This young adult's like, what just happened? You are powerful beyond measure. Hallelujah. We have weapons, church. Well, what's the first weapon? The Word of God. <laughs> sharp and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God will never return void. It always goes forth and accomplishes that which it was sent to do. In your emotions, you have power. It's okay to feel bad sometimes. It's okay to feel bad, but you have a weapon. You have a weapon, and you come into agreement with your tongue, your words, and you speak the Word in the midst of feeling overwhelmed. You find the Scripture, and you begin to quote that and sing it or do whatever you want to do that way. And, you know, rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. 4. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Woo! That'll preach. Come on, guys. You are overcomers. You've got the word of the living God. You know, devil, Jesus didn't freak out, scream at the devil. He literally just quoted the word of God. You know, we get into these, devil! You know, he's not intimidated by that at all. <laughs> but when you unleash the word, it's literally, no! yes. Yes. Cut your head off, Satan, you liar. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You're looking at a hopeless world. Find the scriptures on hope. Begin to speak them over your life. Speak them over your kids' lives. Amen? You need healing. Hallelujah. Jesus, by your stripes that you bore for me, I am healed, Lord God. God, you tell me in Psalm 103 to forget not all your benefits, who forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases, Lord. Hallelujah. You're in a fight, church. You've got weapons, the Word of God. You're fearful right now in the world. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. You can overcome. You can overcome. You have overcome. How about just the name of Jesus? You ever just, the name of Jesus is powerful? Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Woo! That's good. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise and the glory of God. Just the name of Jesus, you guys, has power. How about worship? <laughs> God inhabits the praises of his people. I, it freaks me out. I'm going to tell you, I have to sit in the front row because I'm not mature enough to sit in the back row because if I turned and saw you guys not worshiping, I would freak out and say, start singing! <laughs> you have a weapon! This is how I fight my battle. Woo! Come on. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I don't like this song. Grow up. <laughs> Prayer. How about that for a weapon? Well, I don't know. James 5.16 just says this. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man or woman makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Prayer meeting tomorrow night or men's ministry. I don't care. Go to either one. I'm calling men right now. <laughs> Women are like, I'm not going to men's I get You can come to prayer. <laughs> prayer. Has it come to that, Pastor? Has it come to prayer? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Do one single study in the Word of God about Jesus and the times that he went away and prayed. It'll freak you right out. Constantly went away to pray. He didn't do anything on his own power. He did it through the power of the Spirit working through him.
You have tremendous power available in prayer, church. How about just the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, those taking Alpha, man, you're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. It's good. You need to be filled every day. Thank you, Jesus. Band's going to come back. We're going to sing. The altars are going to be open in a moment. But if there's one more thing, and here's the last thing in this text that you need to grasp. He said, you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony, and by not shrinking back from death. What does that mean? Church, what it means is this. Greg Fraser lives his life, and he's trying to grow in his identity as a child of God. But there are times when Greg Fraser turns to the world to find his acceptance, his security, or his significance. And the father says, son, that's not going to help. You need to repent of that. Now, Greg Fraser has a choice. He can say, well, I'm, I'm just going to try and fix this myself. Anybody ever done that? Or, God, I just ignore that. You love me and accept me, and I can keep doing whatever I want to do. How many know that doesn't work? Or you can not shrink back from death. And you can bring it into the light. And you can say, God, forgive me from trying to find my salvation in this world. Amen? Look at what 1 John says. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Don't excuse your sin. Bring it into the light. And if you bring it into the light, the blood of Jesus Christ will purify you. It has purified you. It is purifying you, and it will purify you. But if you claim to be without sin, you make God out to be a liar. This is the power of the church. I can come, Greg Fraser can come, and every day I have to come, every day I have to come. Why? Because I, I, I read something and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, the world's falling down. What am I going to do? I got to save more money. I got to do more things. <laughs> Freaking out. And I got to say, God, forgive me. God, this is so stupid. God, I don't want to find my identity in this world. I want to find it in you. And he says, okay, come on, let's keep going. I, my Catholic roots try to come up. I try to beat myself, flog myself. I'm so bad, I'm so bad. You think that impresses God? No. God, you'll never disillusion God. He has no illusions of you in the first place. Amen? So just get up and go. Keep going. Keep serving. Keep loving. You fall down, get up. A righteous man, a righteous woman stumbles seven times, but the Lord helps him up every single time if you will but come into the light. Amen. 
We don't excuse our sin. We don't hide our sin. We uncover it. And when we uncover it, he covers. Amen?